Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Andy J Podcast. podcast hey welcome to episode 56 of the andy j podcast and what a show we have for you in store so far this is the only episode of the show which has included not one but two oscar winners oh i'm so chuffed and it sounds so cool to be able to say that we have the majestic olivia coleman who is just brilliant 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 lover to bits one of the nation's greatest acting talents actually and of course she won the oscar for best actress in 2019 and she is joined in conversation by mr florian zeller sensational playwright brilliant director and the man behind the oscar winning movie the father for which anthony hopkins won his oscar as the title role and Florian Zeller won the Oscar for a Best Adapted Screenplay. And it is it is a brilliant, brilliant movie. So two Oscar winners join me to talk about The Father, which I thoroughly recommend, by the way. It really is that good. And we don't have long with them, but what we have is pretty special. So I'm really, really chuffed to be able to share this with you. Then we sort of continue the movie theme. We dip into our Hollywood pool and we can bring out a very special conversation with the man who created Event Horizon and all the Resident Evil movies. He sometimes calls himself Mr. Meliovich, but we know him better as Paul W.S. Anderson. Legend. So a great chat with him on the way. And we close today's show with a bit of soap special. We have Corey Royalty, the wonderful Beverly Callard. And I'll tell you what, it is such a revealing conversation with Beverly. She really is great, great company. So if you're here for the stars, the Oscar winners and the Hollywood icons... I'd love you to stay towards the end and just hear from Beverly as well. She really is terrific company and she's so open and honest. It's definitely worth your time. Anyway, let's jump straight in, shall we, and get started with our Oscar winning legends, Olivia Coleman and Florian Zeller. The Andy J Podcast. Hello. Wow. Hello there. How are you doing? Good, thank you. How are you? Well, I'm thrilled to be meeting you guys. It's an absolute honour. I've got to say, I can't spend forever bigging up the film because otherwise we won't have any time to chat, but I just wanted to tell you it's a masterpiece and I loved it. I loved it. Bravo. Well done. Thank you. Thank you very much. Amazing. So, I mean, Florian, let's start with you very quickly. I've got to ask you, you can use that title Oscar winner now. Is this dream realised? Because the play has been so long. You've had it for such a long time in, in so many different forms. How does it feel now? A um, lot of different kind of feelings, but the most important is I feel grateful. Um, grateful to Olivia, grateful to Anthony that it happened, you know, the way I was, because it, it, it's true that it's like a dream became true because everything started with a dream, you know, when, when I started dreaming about that film, um, you know, I had Anthony's face in mine and then I was like, oh, what if it was Olivia? Uh, mm-hmm. alongside Anthony and so 
it's it, you have to fight for those dreams to happen and to be very proactive. But still, I feel grateful because you know I know that it could have been very different. What uh, it could, could not happen. It's a lovely thing could to happen. say. And- and so modest, Olivia. I mean, you're an Oscar winner as well. Please tell Florian, I'm assuming the buzz never wears off. Oh, no, it never wears off. <laughs> no, and in a little low moment, you just... Because mine's in a cupboard, because I, I don't want to feel a bit... You know, I don't want to be showy-offy if anyone comes around. But in a private moment, I do sometimes go, <laughs> and then and close the cupboard again. <laughs> please, please tell me that's like a daily thing. I'd be checking it like every few minutes. Is it still there? Is it real? Yeah. Be... It happens more than I like to tell people. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's amazing. Um, Olivia, I've got, I've got to ask you, of course, the, the, the subject matter in the film is, is it's so intense and it's, I mean, it's heartwarming and devastating and heartbreaking and, and it must have been incredibly challenging to put yourself in those shoes and to, and to be in the moment so frequently. How did you, how did you manage it? Well, my answer's quite disappointing to this. It wasn't hard at all. It's with Anthony Hopkins. So um, the script is so beautiful, and it's we we're both quite um, uh, thin-skinned. You know, it's all quite it's all quite close to the surface. And you just say these beautiful words, which automatically make you feel a certain way, and then and then the scene's finished, and you go and have a cup of tea. So it was, you know, it was an absolute joy from start to finish, and because he's so present and uh, emotionally. Um, amazing it makes my job so easy you watch this great man look confused it's upsetting so it was pretty easy really from an audience perspective i wanted to give you all hugs constantly please tell me that as soon as you stopped the scene it was the hugs were out everyone group hug group hug everyone get in well Um, you can't help feel but i mean it's so yeah and the leaves coming off the trees and everything oh oh it breaks your heart you just want to give him a hug yeah, well, that's that's why my job was easy because he was so, you know, upsetting. <laughs> he was brilliant. Yes, yes, absolutely. And Florian, no, just, I'm so sorry. I know you're type of time, but Florian uh, was better a better director in this his first ever film than most most directors after their tenth film. But I know that's a theatre background too. But just allowing us the space to do what we needed to do, and we felt in safe hands. It was just it was a joy. Wow, and what a thing to say. That's an accolade and a half, Florian. That means, of course, you can't stop here. There's got to be another movie, right? <laughs> yes, you know, it, it, was, it was so intense and joyful uh, to me that, yes, it's true that I can't wait to, to do another film. But, uh, you know, today I'm still connected with this film is about to release uh, in the UK and we, are, we have been waiting for this moment for, for months and months. So, you know, I'm still very connected to, to the father because, uh, you know, the point of making a film is for that for that moment to share emotions yeah. with the audience. So we are so excited, and Anthony also is so excited that now the film is about at least uh, to to release in the UK. Yeah, brilliant! Congratulations, guys! It's been an absolute pleasure, and I loved it. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, Sorry, it's so Thank short. You. Thank you. The Andy J Podcast. I love them. I know it was quick, but wasn't it special? Brilliant. You're listening to the Andy J podcast, and let's jump straight into the next conversation with Paul W.S. Anderson. How are you doing? I'm Martin? doing fantastic. Brilliant. Where are you, L.A. right yeah, now? Yeah, no, I'm doing really good. I'm in Vancouver. Wow. Okay. I wouldn't uh, have guessed bright, that. Bright, sunny day. Yeah, I'm here. Um, 
my daughter is actually shooting a movie, so um, she's she's playing she's playing Wendy in Peter Pan and Wendy, the new Disney live action version of their cartoon. Wow! Um, so so Mila and I is uh, as parental guardians. Is that, is that really weird? Having, I mean, being just parents on a film set right now is that is that kind of that's a new role for you, right? Yeah, no, it's kind of uh, it's really fun. It's not completely a new role because um, you know she uh, she did uh, Black Widow last year. Um, she plays a uh, young Black Widow. She plays young Scarlett Johansson on that. Oh, cool! So we were her chaperones at Pinewood as well. <laughs> which was, that was that was actually weirder because. I was at Pinewood with, uh, you know, we, with, um, which is where we shot Event Horizon. Um, so I, I think I knew more of the crew than the director of Black Widow did. Wow. So that was, that, that was a little strange. That would have, I mean, that must but, have um, been. No, it's really fun. Was that a little intimidating for the director of Black Widow? Because you're there, you know, and he must have been like, you can probably do like a really, really good job at this. <laughs> I don't really need to be here. No, she she joked about it a little bit, but um, you know she she was uh, the woman who directed Black Widow, Kate Shortland, and she's a terrific director. I mean, the the just great kind of actor director, and I think that everyone really responded to her, and everyone loved her. You know, and uh, she's got she's got a lot of people to do the action as well. You know, they had uh, they had a pretty big crew on Black Widow, awesome. as you can imagine. Yeah, you know, it's one of those huge Marvel movies. Yeah, well, it has to be massive, doesn't it? When it's Marvel, it has to be that extra level, which is, I mean, part of the fun. And what a role for your daughter to have! That's super cool because you yeah, introduced your daughter to the movies, and you, she was she was the Red Queen in, in the final Resident Evil. She certainly was. Yeah, that was. Um, listen, she may she may be working with bigger directors on bigger movies now, but I was always her first director. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Hey, listen, you you mentioned those magic two I, words. I, I discovered her. I <laughs> discovered her sitting in my kitchen. Going, hey, you, you'll be good. <laughs> and the rest is history. I love it. It's fantastic. And look, Paul, you've you've mentioned the magic words, which to me and my friends is is one of the greatest. Event Horizon core. I mean, are you sick of talking about it yet? Because my goodness, what a seminal movie. No, I love um, I love talking about Event Horizon. I mean, it's a movie I'm immensely proud of and uh, it's been really lovely what kind of happened to it over time because you know when it when it was released you know the movie i mean it did okay but it was a bit of a disappointment it kind of got released at the wrong time of the year they released it in the summertime and if you know the movie it's not really a summer movie yeah. you know it's more kind of halloween or fall you know um so so the movie you know the movie was considered like it underperformed but then it uh, ended up building a real uh, strong following, you know, on, on DVD um, afterwards and, um, you know, digital and, and, you know, so it's nice that, you know, all the hard work we put in, you know, got appreciated finally. Yeah. You know, it's always, it's always nice if it can be opening, opening weekend so you can get all the, all the glory then. But um, frankly, you know, you'll, you'll take the glory wherever you can get it. And if people <laughs> want to enjoy it five years after the fact, then I'm very, very happy. Too and with right. Event Horizon, they want to enjoy it 20 years after the fact. That's really it's terrific that it has had this longevity. I mean, I'm really, it's a, it, it's a really great movie and I'm very proud of it. 
It is a it is a really great movie. And Paul, listen, I I had the pleasure of chatting to Jason Isaacs very recently, and Jason obviously he has only the fondest of memories with the movie. And when I told my friends that I was chatting to Jason, they were like, "Pitch him a pitch him a prequel to Event Horizon." And Jason thought that would be an amazing idea. You're the man that could actually make that happen. Could we? Could we have a building of the ship type, you know, type movie? Do you reckon? Could there be a prequel? I don't know. I, I think if Jason's pitching it, I'm sure he imagines he's in it somewhere. <laughs> I think he's imagining more it's, uh, his, his character's story. What he did before the event horizon. That, I mean, that could also be cool. I was thinking it would probably be Sam Neill and, and you know, maybe taking taking it to, to the creation levels. But who am I to have this idea? I'm merely trying to bring you to the table, you know? I'm, so I'm thinking if I can convince you this could be awesome, then we're set. You know, I've, I've been asked a lot about, um, you know, the idea of, like, prequel or sequel or spin-off. And, you know, Event Horizon is one of those movies that, I'm really, really proud of what we did, and I'm really happy that it's kind of built this very strong cult following. And I think the danger would be to kind of go back and fuck it up, um, if you pardon my French. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like the last thing you want to do is go and, kind of, you know, unravel all the goodwill people had towards it by kind of having another stab at it, you know. And um, I think one of the good things about Event Horizon that maybe hurts us in the short term is that the movie doesn't tie everything up very neatly. You know, it leaves a lot of kind of unanswered questions, which, you know, maybe hurt us a little bit. The audiences came out one going, well, I, I don't really understand what happened at the end. Where, why didn't they explain where the ship went to? Is hell real? You know, all of these questions were left hanging. Yeah. Um, which I think was great for the longevity of the film because it just engendered lots of discussion. And... Um, you know, I, I think the last thing I want to do is stop that discussion by making a movie that kind of answers all the questions. <laughs> That's I mean, it might be something that people think they want, but actually, you did it, you did it, then people go, oh, no, I didn't really want that at all. That is then, very fair. Thank you for making that spoiling <laughs> event. <laughs> so, you know, I, I don't want to be the one spoil event, that's for sure. No, listen, fair enough. I watched all of the Matrix movies and kind of wished I'd only seen the first one. So I I understand where you're coming from. You're making a lot of sense. It's just, you know, the opportunity to maybe get another Event Horizon out of you. It was too good to pass up. I had to I had to mention it. Otherwise, I would have failed myself and my friends. I hope you understand. I'm certainly not going to make another Event Horizon, but I have increasingly been thinking of making that kind of movie again. You know, I feel like I haven't really made a very, very scary film in a long time. And I, it's a genre that I would really like to go back to. You know, a lot of the movies I've made have, you know, they have jump scares in them. But it's not, I haven't really done anything truly unsettling and, uh, and kind of that gets into, your, gets into your subconscious in the way that I think Event Horizon did for people. And, um, you know, that's something that I would very much like to do again. But not as a not as a sequel or people to events, just as a you know a movie that kind of functions in that same kind of genre. Well, that would be amazing. I mean, because just the beats in in something like Event Horizon, or I mean, so many of your other movies, as you say, you've got the jumps. They might not be kind of the unsettling horrors, but you you certainly. I mean, you have absolutely refined the art of keeping us on the edge of our seats and and making us scared and frightened and exhilarated. And so, if you're saying, yeah, you know, I'm I'm back in the market for one of those. I mean, where do you have to go, Paul, mentally when you're when you're kind of preparing for a movie like that, do you, do you put yourself in an uncomfortable, unnerved state of mind, or do you just kind of let the ideas flow you and, and, and kind of think how the audience would respond? 
I mean, maybe I just had a screwed up childhood, but it <laughs> kind of just it pops into my mind all the time. It doesn't really matter, you know, I can be walking the dog or going to Sainsbury's, you know, and then suddenly, ah, this would be rather cruel and unpleasant and <laughs> unsettling. You know, that, that I just think about that stuff. You know, um, you know, I'm the kind of guy who walks into an elevator and thinks of all the bad things that could happen in that elevator. It's just, uh, it's just I guess, it's the way I'm wired. <laughs> well, you've you've put pretty much the worst things that could happen in an elevator on screen already, haven't you? I mean, there's, there can't be much more that can happen in an elevator. Oh, I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say that I've I've completely exhausted it yet. There are other bad things that can happen. <laughs> I'm not going to give them away, but I believe me, I've thought of a lot of horrible, horrible stuff. I mean, there's there, well, it's it's an opportunity for a single movie just in a lift. I guess that's been done though, hasn't it? Someone's done a movie just set in a lift. I'm sure of it. Anyway, I think I think M Night did a movie called Devil that that's I actually haven't seen, but I think a lot of that was. Elevator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think you're right. But anyway, look, we don't. And then I think there was a there was a kind of I think there was a Dutch horror movie called The Lift. <laughs> I haven't seen that either, but um, I think it was all about a demonic lift. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. Fair enough. But, um, you know, said, I have to I have to have a few more wet days in Vancouver and stay in and kind of watch all of these things. Yeah, just a bit of friendly research, you know, <laughs> keep it fun. Um, Paul, I'd love yeah. to talk to you. I mean, you've done so many movies. We've got a chat. I mean, I, I want to talk about exec producing as well. We've got to talk about Here Are the Young Men, of course. But a quick word on Monster Hunter, if that's all right, because it's the most recent Paul W.S. Anderson release. It's only been out a short while. And, of course, in this funny climate, it's so difficult because cinemas are shut worldwide. Has that kind of had a big change on your thinking of, of future movies and, and how things can move forward? Because I've seen Monster Hunter. I thought it was terrific um you know I, um well a lot of people have seen monster hunter you know it's um it's now out on digital in uh in north america and it's just kind of killing it on the you know the amazon charts and itunes and um you know it's been in the top five for about five or six weeks um so i mean a lot of people are seeing it they're just not seeing it in the format that i originally intended yeah um you know because obviously there's a cinema film um, but, you know, you've got to kind of roll with the punches, and that's, that's where the world is at right now. Was there some thinking, was there some discussions at any point where you thought, Do you know what, let's wait till cinemas are reopened, like they've done with Bond, for example, over here, which is irksome, but they've done it, and, and so be it? Um, we obviously waited a while, but things weren't, uh, you know, things weren't um, changing that fast. Mm. And, um, you know, I actually completed the movie, you know, over a year, year and a half ago. So, you know, there's a, there's a limit to how long you can hold on to films without kind of getting them out there and allowing the audience to see them. And also, I think this kind of hybrid, you know, theatrical where it works and digital where theaters are not open, you know, that's increasingly what's happening, you know, whether it's... Um, that's my one-year-old who's chiming into the oh. conversation. <laughs> um, whether it's... Uh, you know, you know, Universal are doing that. Um, you know, uh, Black Widow, for example, they just announced, which is a huge movie. They just announced it's theatrical, but also on Disney Plus simultaneously. So, um, you know, we're not the only movie that's kind of caught in in that situation. And I, I would say uh, the fun thing about Monster Hunter is it's uh, it's an escape into a completely fantastical world for two hours, which yeah. I think you know 
if you're trapped in your world right now and you're trapped in your apartment and you can't go out, you know, it's a great piece of escapism. So I do think it's a, you know, it's a great movie for right now. Yes, absolutely. No, you're, you're, you're so right. And somebody once said to me, you know, when I first got into, when I first got into um, the movie business, um, somebody said to me, you know, it, movies are like a, they're like a cake. You know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you cut it. It's got to taste good. So you know, you can't, you can't, you can't bake your cake and go, oh, it's only, it's only for theatres. You know, the fact is, you know, people are going to see it in all different kinds of ways. And uh, you know, I've seen, I've seen Monster Hunter on an IMAX screen, on a regular screen, on a big TV screen, and I've also watched it on my iPhone. And uh, you know, the cake tastes good, no matter whether, on what format you're watching it. You know, it's still a bloody entertaining movie, even on my iPhone. Happy days. Yeah, good. I'm personally very, very glad you did release it because, you know, one thing we have missed is new content and new movies and people holding things back. So the fact that you put it out, oh, I'm so, so chuffed to bits that you did. Can we have a quick word about next projects before we talk about your exec producing role in Here Are The Young Men? Because I've heard a rumour, Paul, and it might be wrong, but I want to ask you anyway. I've heard a rumour that you're working on a movie called The Lost Lands. By, with it based on a, a short by George R. R. Martin of Game of Thrones fame, is is that correct? Yeah, I'm developing um, I'm developing um, uh, a movie. Yeah, it's based on based on a story by George R. R. Martin called In the Lost Land, and um, it's uh, going to star Mila and Dave Bautista, oh. and um, we're going to shoot that next year. Wow, that's extremely cool. And I'm very very excited because I, I think. I think Mila and Dave is just going to be the most awesome combination because they're both so cool. So having them go into the wastelands and kind of kick ass is going to be fantastic. Oh, mega. And, uh, you know, George is such a phenomenal world builder. And, um, you know, what he's done with Lost Lands is, you know, it's a different, it's a different world, the world of Westeros, but it's just as, it's just as big and as exciting and as thrilling. And the characters are dark and twisted as you would expect. So it's um, you know, it's going to have all the visuals you would expect from one of my movies, but with these these wonderful, twisted George R. R. Martin characters that I think will really take people by surprise. Yeah, brilliant. Have you already seen it in your head? Yes. Yeah, I've been working on it for a while actually. Um, we've been developing it for about four years, and uh, I've had a lot of artwork done for it. So you know, a lot of the visuals are, are definitely already there. Nice. And how does that work as a director then? Because you, you, you have to kind of live and breathe it before, like well ahead of time. So have you kind of played it over and over and over, different scenes, different pacing, different locations in your mind's eye? Or is it very much get an artist to kind of create first and then and then go from that point? No, it's, it's kind of, um, it, it is, I, I play it over and over in my head. And the fun thing about developing something over a long period of time is you, you know, in those years, I've, I've gone away and I've like shot Monster Hunter and I've come back to Lost Lands. And, you know, you go away, you come back, you've got new ideas, you can kind of see what you've uh, done so far and, um, you know, bring a fresh perspective to it. So, uh, you know, a lot of, I think a lot of good creative thinking gets done when you have a long pre-production like that rather than just rushing into something. Yeah, great. Well, I'm excited for it. If you need an extra, give me a yell. I'd uh, I'd be more than happy to be in a crazy world. Sounds sounds like an all an awful lot of fun. Great. 
Yeah, now we we need lots lots of people for days to decapitate. So we'll 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 get you in. <laughs> I'd be there in a heartbeat. That would be amazing fun. What a cool thing to be able to say. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be brilliant. Um, Paul, let's talk about here are the young men, which of course is this new movie that you have executive produced. Can I ask first for our audience just to be able to get this? Because you know you're a director, you're a screenwriter, but but what is the job job of a producer? You know we understand what a director does and what a screenwriter does, but what's a producer's role in a movie? Um, well, it, you know, producers come in many different forms. Um, you know, a producer can be, you know, sometimes they're like the chef who kind of like puts all the ingredients together. So, you know, sometimes the producer can be the person who chooses the director, brings the writer in, they option the book that it's based on. Um, so you kind of put all the elements together. Sometimes the producer is the person who brings the money in. Um, and sometimes an exec producer is somebody, in my case, who offers advice, um, you know, and, uh, you know, in this, in this case, what happened was an actor that I'd worked with, um, who I really like Owen Macken, um, who was in the last Resident Evil movie. He, um, you know, he, he was, he's also a director. He directed several shorts and some longer form things. And, um, but this was like a movie he wanted to make and it was the biggest movie that he'd been involved with so far. And, um, you know, he, he wanted some guidance and, um, you know, just uh, uh, somebody to talk to who had more experience in that world. And, um, you know, that, that's who I became for him, you know, just a sounding board about, you know, how to help, you know, get the movie financed, when to shoot it, where to shoot it, um, get distribution for it. You know, so, um, you know, my executive producing kind of played out over a series of uh, rather fabulous dinners with him. <laughs> so uh, it, was a, it was a great experience. Brilliant! Oh, that's really. It was a great experience. I didn't make any money, but and it cost it cost me it cost me quite a lot because Owen's got you know got fairly expensive taste. <laughs> so uh, so the dinners were not cheap, but um, I think you know I I, I fed him up, and because um, as a director, you know you kind of uh, especially when you're getting started, you tend to sacrifice your fee and things like that. So he needed a good meal, so um, so I put a good meal inside of him and hopefully gave him some some useful advice. <laughs> That's um, brilliant. Did you did you attend but, uh, any of you the know, filming at all, you, or was it just kind of from a distance advising? You, you know, once the production I, I started, did, you know, I I couldn't because he was shooting it pretty much as I was shooting Monster Hunter. So if I could have been present, I would have been. Um, but you know, I was literally on a different continent. Yeah, that wouldn't that wouldn't have worked, would it? But I mean, how proud of you? Because obviously, your your name is on the credits as exec producer, and and that's a special moment, isn't it? When you see a new movie that's out, and you've been so heavily involved in the setup and and giving all that advice. How proud are you of the finished product? You must have seen several cuts of it, I'd have thought. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, that was the other thing that um, that happened is Owen sent me, um, you know, several cuts of the movie, and you know, I would comment on that. Um, I'm very proud. I mean, I'm very proud of him. I mean, he's a fantastic, he's a fantastic actor and he's also a very talented director and, um, you know, he's a very passionate man. You know, he, I gave him some advice, but, you know, he's really the man who kind of pushed the whole movie into life. Um, it was very much a labor of love for him. And, you know, he did it in between doing his day job, which is going out and acting as well. So, um, you know, he had a he had a lot of plates that he was spinning, and he did it phenomenally well. And then, you know, it's it's a, it's a beautiful looking movie, um, and you know, made on not a lot of money. Um, so that's you know, I think that's one of Owen's strengths is 
is he's a great visualist, and uh, and also as an actor, he's a great director of actors, and um, you know that that's a rare combination in directors where you get someone who can can kind of do both things. Yeah, no, you know, um, you get a lot of a lot of directors who are great with visuals but not great with actors. A lot of directors are great with actors, but the visuals are kind of lackluster. Certainly, from my point of view, you know, me as a director, and you know, I started, you know, um, as uh, you know, very visually led, and um, but kind of no idea what to do with actors. You know, I didn't come from the stage or anything like that. So, you know, I was kind of very much learning on the job. So, kind of going back to Event Horizon, for example, you know, working with great actors like Lawrence Fishburne, you know, I I certainly learned a lot about about actors and acting and. Um, you know, uh, Lawrence was a very, very uh, generous man in terms of kind of like helping me along, which, um, you know, I'm very grateful for. So, you know, when I get a chance to kind of uh, repay that kind of favor to somebody else in the industry who I respect, like Owen, then, you know, obviously I'm going to jump at that chance. Yeah, brilliant. What a lovely thing to hear. Um, I know we're tight on time, Paul, so just a quick one for you. You and I share something, which is we're both a father to three children. You have three girls, I have three boys. My eldest is seven, and he started noodling around making little movies, just little short things, but he absolutely loves it. And I think, if I'm right, you started on Super 8, I think about age nine. So I just wanted to get some tips, because I'm very keen to encourage him, because he's loving it. And if I can tell him I've spoken to you, and you give me some advice, to relate to him, that would be amazing. I would get big, t- big, big points. So, can you give me some tips to suggest to him? You know, it's a funny, it's a funny old industry because it's you know, there's no real kind of pathway into becoming a director. It's not like you go to school for direction. I mean, I, some people end up going to film school, I guess, but you know, most directors don't. And um, so, everyone's route into the industry is very, very different. But I think the one thing that all kind of people who end up working as directors in the industry, the thing they have in common is there's this saying is that, you know, directors direct and writers write. You know, I've met a lot of people in, in my career who've talked about being writers, but they just don't write enough. You know, everyone, you know, they have maybe one project, but they don't write another one and another one and another one and another one. And I think for most people who get into the industry, persistence pays off. And the ability to kind of, to kind of take failure and, um, you know, and go, okay, that, that didn't work, but I'll try again. Um, I think that's, that's the most crucial thing for anyone who wants to get into the industry. And uh, obviously I'm not suggesting you give this advice to your seven-year-old. Get used to, get used to disappointment. Um, but, <laughs> but, you know, the reality is if, if somebody, you have to love what you do. Otherwise, you know, it'll never work, you know, because you, 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 to get into the industry, there is so many knockbacks and so many potential disappointments that if you don't really love it, then why are you doing it? Yeah. And um, so, I mean, it's great. It's great um, if your boy, you know, at seven years old knows what he wants to do and has a passion for it. And I would just, just encourage it, you know, direct and direct. And the more things he can direct and make, and uh, you know, like I did, just starting out with Super 8, and just, just the more kind of projects and the more the merrier. Yeah, you know, because that kind of enthusiasm just carries through, and it's it's that kind of enthusiasm that you just need to continue to have once you start knocking on people's doors and trying to get you know trying to get a career going. 
just keep encouraging him, basically. I got it. I can do that. Paul, what a pleasure it's been talking to you. I I'm really am chuffed <laughs> to bits. We've had some time. And, uh, and and I'm excited about The Lost Lands as well. It starts filming, you say, 2022, is that? Yes. Yeah, we'll start. Um, hopefully things will uh, have uh, kind of improved slightly with the COVID situation. Um, but the idea is, yeah, we'll go, we'll go in front of camera next year. Because it's a very, it's a very, it's a huge world. It's, um, you know, it's a George R. R. Martin world, and um, it's going to take a long time to actually create that world. So, um, you know, we may only film it next year, but I'm certainly, I'm working on it already um, to kind of bring it to life. Well, I've got to practice my beheadings. Obviously, you've got my number. I'm ready for the call. Very good. <laughs> no, no, you don't. You don't have to practice beheading. You have it's being beheaded. Oh, I see. Oh, that's, yeah, that's slightly less exciting. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, yeah, no, it's, you know, it's Dave who has to do the beheading. Right. Oh, okay, so I'm merely role of victim. But, I mean, if I get, like, if I could be victim number three or something, that could be quite cool. Oh, yeah. It's all about having a good death in, <laughs> in my movie. That's what I tell a lot of actors who die, because obviously a lot of actors have died in my movies. You kill a lot of actors, and, uh, that's it's true. all about having yeah. a great death. Look at Jason, look at... Look at Jason Isaacs, fantastic death in Event Horizon. Yes. Great. I've had the, I've had the privilege of killing Jason several times, actually, in movies. <laughs> Who's the best? Who's the I best killed in him in a while, actually. I should give him a bell, actually, see if he wants to come into the Lost Lands with us. Just, what, just to kill him? Just to give him a great death? Yeah, just a just a meter grizzly end. Yeah. <laughs> who does who does the best death? You've I mean you've done enough of them now. Who's the greatest actor at dying? Um, yeah, now we're talking about Jason. He's pretty oh guy's pretty good. There was a bit in Event Horizon where he was supposed to kind of um you know, he's all strung up with his entrails hanging yes. out. It, it's a it's a horrible, horrible end. But um we, we had a moment where where he kind of like even though all his intestines are on a table in front of him, he looks up. He goes, "Oh, kill me!" But it was too much. <laughs> so I never made it into the movie. Oh well, it's somewhere on a cutting room floor. I mean, the fact that you had it is is brilliant. Yeah, some grisly unpleasantness. Yeah. <laughs> amazing um, Paul what a pleasure thank you very much for your company I hope we get to speak again soon and uh, yeah I'll, I'll practice the role of victim in that case rather than the other way around <laughs> cheers mate all the best take care bye bye the Andy J podcast well it's time to check out of Hollywood now and well bit closer to home, the wonderful Beverly Callard, soap legend, and of course we all loved her, in the Welsh Castle last year, 2020, when she was in I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. So much fun. She's a very special lady, and she is the last guest of the podcast today. Here she is. It's Beverly Callard. I am so pleased to be able to tell you that my next guest, Bonafide Superstar, I'm looking at her right now and I'm like, oh my goodness, I have got soap royalty watching me and this is just glorious. Now, she has, well, she's been involved in this brilliant study about pets and lockdown and how we're pampering our pets more than ever. But of course, I have to talk to her about the castle as well. It's the one and only Beverly Callard. How are you doing, Beverly? 
Really good to see you. I'm thrilled we're chatting, Beverly. This is such a huge moment for me because I'm a big, big fan. And I must say, right, obviously you have an army of fans out there across the UK who were soap fans and fans of your performing. But then there would have been a whole load of new Beverly Callard fans as a result of you going, well, not in the jungle, but to a castle in Wales for I'm a Celebrity last year. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, when I said yes, it was supposed to be in Australia. And so my husband, it was. And my husband, John, was saying, Beverly, I think you should do it. Because I said no for years, because I don't really enjoy appearing as Beverly. I'd rather have a role to play and learn the words that somebody else has given me. But because of lockdown and everything else, I thought, why the hell not? But John, of course, thought it was going to be in the Versace Hotel. <laughs> yes. Uh, do you know, you're not the first person to admit this, Beverly. I've heard, historically, quite a lot of celebrities have gone on it purely for the holiday. Because they're thinking, well, I'll, I'll go out really early. And then I've, I'm in a lovely hotel in Australia. Yeah. I, I honestly, and uh, truly, I think John thought he was going to be stunning himself. And I just thought, well, at least we'll be warm. <laughs> no, parade not. Minus one degree it was in that bedroom in the castle. <laughs> was it, I mean, it was <laughs> terrible. It was, do you know what, as a viewer though, I mean, I'm a Celebrity always gives, I think, always gives us a lovely welcome distraction, but never more needed than last year in the midst of the craziness of the pandemic and so on. Were you aware that you were going to be giving the nation a bit of a lift or was it still very much, I'm on a TV show here and it's gruelling? Do you know, I think all of us were so relieved because just the same as the rest of the world, we've not really seen anybody. and not You've not had new conversations with new people at all, have you? So before the show, when they started to say it's going to be in a castle in Wales, we were thinking, you have got to be kidding me. November in Wales, no thank you. No central heating, nothing. And so we all to go into isolation beforehand. And then when uh, as soon as that ended, we were straight into the castle. But because we'd been in isolation... We didn't have to be as guarded with contact. You couldn't give each other a hug. You could shake hands. You could do whatever. And it was just such a relief. But in those circumstances as well, you do actually forget you're being filmed. Uh, Occasionally you remember, but more often than not, it was so cold in there. That bathroom was so (laughs) disgusting. That watering can. Nobody could get a shower in there. We all felt mingled, you know. <laughs> they gave you one microfiber towel. But microfiber doesn't work, does it? Well, it I mean, just... <laughs> it works to the purpose that they wanted it to do, which was to yeah, infuriate so, you. Yeah, to, to make you suffer. You know, I don't even clean my work tops with those. <laughs> they don't work. Yes. Yes, no, that's completely valid. I mean, tell me something, Beverly, because don't get me wrong, 
you had the experience. I mean, they put you through it, like you've said. You know, they, they found a way to torment you in the same way that they would have done in the jungle. But you were denied the sunshine and you were denied the sort of mosquitoes and so on that several of the other celebrities have historically faced. If they said to you, do you know what, Beverly, we've decided we were a little unfair putting you in a freezing castle in Wales. We're going to redo the whole thing this year. Same, same gang, but we'll do it back in Australia. Would you do it again? I would. Without doubt, I would. If it were exactly the same people, because I knew Shane before, yeah. but I didn't know any of the others at all. And, you know, you think, well, ooh, Victoria Derbyshire will be too clever for me. <laughs> you know, I did think that. And I thought she'll be very proper and sensible. She is just the opposite, believe me. <laughs> she is a hoot. And absolute. she is so funny. And I think because we'd all been in isolation for so long and all in lockdown, we got together. And I know everybody says it, but we just hit it off yeah. completely. There wasn't a wrong word. And you're not guarded. Uh, you know, you've not got the war paint on, no makeup on. It, that side of it, I love. The trials, not so much. Everybody said to me, oh, you'll overcome your fear of insects. Listen, Andy, it's even worse than ever. <laughs> really? It made me worse. Oh, no. <laughs> no. I would not have expected that. I would have thought it would have just been plain sailing because you've dealt with your big fears. But oh, obviously. no. No, no, it's because you go in another mindset, I think. It's very strange. It's difficult to explain. Okay. Well, Beverly, you've, you've said a couple of things that are kind of a bit of a tangent one, but I'd, I'd, I'd love to talk to you about it because it's, it's sort of, to me, it just sort of, it came a bit of a surprise. You mentioned earlier on you'd, you'd rather be playing a role. Of course, you've, you've done that professionally for forever, but nonetheless, it, it almost sort of speaks to an insecurity that, that, I, that I'm surprised by because... You as Beverly, you're wonderful. You're a ray of sunshine. You know, everyone wants to be around you. So I just sort of think to myself, why do you, why do you feel like that? Oh, Andy, we're getting into a deep one here. But I have to tell you, my insecurity comes with my demons, right. honestly. Uh, years ago, I suffered very badly from clinical depression. And I have... People don't believe it because I'm an actor, but I have very low self-esteem. I hate mirrors. I don't look at photographs of myself. I I have not watched myself in anything, whether it be I'm a celeb or Coronation Street, for 15 years. I just can't do it. I, I love playing a role. I love being an actor. I, the, the fact that a writer as agonised to get those words on a page and then you as an actor agonised to make those words into a person and you make that person as real as possible. I love that. But appearing as Beverly is really hard for me. But in I'm a Celeb, you do forget mm. that you're being filmed, not 100% of the time, but a lot of the time you do forget. But when I go on shows as a guest, or sometimes I've done, I presented Loose Women a couple of times, I am rubbish at it. I'm not very good at thinking on my feet, you know. Colleen is brilliant. Denise Welsh is brilliant. I am rubbish at that. 
and I get so nervous. I'm terrified of swearing. Well, yes, I, uh, I can empathize. You know, yeah, <laughs> you know. So no, uh, insecurities are loads in there. <laughs> really? Do you know this is it's fascinating because of course. You know, we we as the public, we sort of have this expectation or, or, or kind of misunderstanding of celebrity. We just assume rich, famous, successful, great looking, world at your feet. But actually, the, the, the reality is always different, isn't it? I think it is. Yeah, I think it is. And we have this. You do. It's not that you're being phony or insincere, but you have to have a certain persona. Uh, but I'd much rather hide away in my pyjamas or an old tracksuit and have no makeup on. Do you know what? If I could afford it, I'd have millions of pets. Uh, I'd rescue donkeys as well. And I do, I love uh, painting and decorating and knocking walls down and renovating property. If I could afford it, I'd just do that all the time. Well, I mean, you could make a show of it, Beverly. I mean, the the thing is... (laughs) I mean, I'm speaking as, as obviously someone that's, that's watched you for forever and, and just think you're wonderful. You know, I, I'm hearing what you're saying about your, your feeling of yourself and it's easy to play a role and so on. But the things you just said, you know, knocking down walls, painting, decorating, having donkeys and so on. You could totally do that as a TV show. We would love to watch you do that. I can actually do polished plaster. What? Well, as in the, yep. the fancy stuff? Yeah. Well, that's a hidden talent. How about that? That is a hidden talent. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Would you would you invite the cameras in then if it was because then it's on your turf, isn't it? This is your passions and your hobbies. That I would love because John and I we love a project, a proper project. You know, stripping plaster off walls, getting it down to the bare brick, and transforming a room completely. I love it. Well, you could be the new, who is it that does it? Nick Knowles and Charlie Dimmock, people like that. You could be the new them, couldn't you? Do you know what? I could be way better than them. Yeah? <laughs> I could honestly. <laughs> Me and John could do it. Well, I want to see that happen, Beverly. I mean, I was, I was planning, I was planning to propose to you that you and Victoria Derbyshire had a had a radio show together. But this is much more exciting. Oh, I would love that. Vic and I would be brilliant would. together. You would. We would get the giggles, though. Well, but that would make it worthwhile. I mean, that's everybody needs a giggle, and it would be infectious. I was, I mean, genuinely, that was my pitch to you. I was gonna, I was coming in ahead. I've got it written on my board here. You'd need to get them to do a show together. But you know, I mean, I'm gonna hold you to that. I am gonna hold you to that. I think it would be brilliant, but I prefer the changing rooms idea and just kind of donkeys <laughs> strolling in from time to time when you've got your plastering going. I think this could be wonderful. Oh, I'm all for it. Look, I'm on Team Beverly. I must say this. Beverly, I also, I, I, I do want to get onto the, to the pet insurance stuff in, in just a sec, but I've got one more question for you because I'm looking at you and I'm, I'm going to sound like I'm flirting, so apologies for this, but I'm looking at a beautiful woman staring back at me. I know how old you are, that you don't look anywhere near it. And I've read recently somewhere you're, you're thinking of having a facelift. Is that, is that true? The next time you see me, I'll be like that. <laughs> you're going to do it? I am going to do it, yes. I am going to do it. Again, insecurities. But it's difficult because our industry is so sexist and ageist still. How many films do you see where 
the husband is 50, the wife is 30. Yeah. It happens all the time. The wives are usually sick in sex. They're gorgeous. You know, their faces don't move. And I'm just going to join that because I'm scared I won't work. And I am insecure. And uh, so, yeah, I don't know whether it's going to do... It's going to do my lower face and my neck. So when you see me, you'll think I've just been on the waltzer. <laughs> you know what's happening? You know, yes, when you sit yes. there and you go like that, or I'm driving at 100 miles an hour. <laughs> oh, God, I hope I don't look like that afterwards, but there we go. But you look amazing now. Bless your heart, but... Uh, I'm hoping I'll look. John doesn't want me to have it done at all. He really doesn't. But um, And my children don't want me to either. I mean, I'm not going mad. I hope not. Anyway, I hope not. But just a bit, you know. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I've I've given myself, as you can see, at least three extra trins over lockdown. I mean, I, and I'm proud of them. Frankly, they're a badge of honour. But, I, you know, I don't look like you. You look amazing, Beverly. If you, I mean, look... I, whatever you feel you need to do, but just speaking as somebody that's looking at you in, in real life for the first time, you're knockout. You really don't. In my personal opinion, you don't need you to. You try to make. Listen, I'll take you as my toy boy after saying all this. I'm telling you now, <laughs> baby, you couldn't stand the pace. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure that's true, which makes it even more appealing. But, but, but are you not, I mean, just the, the whole going under the knife thing, obviously you've decided to do it and that's fine, whatever you I'm feel. terrified. Are you? Yeah, I'd be scared. I'm absolutely terrified. I'm such a coward, such a coward about things like that. But hopefully I'll be asleep and I won't know a thing about it. So <laughs> That's the plan. I mean, it'd be, be a bit weird if they were talking you through it. Right then, Beverly, we're just going to move the ear. Oh, no, no, couldn't go with that. Not at all, no. not at all. <laughs> That's a different sort of show, but we, we, won't, we won't go down that road. Um, now, Beverly, obviously we've mentioned lockdown and we've, we've talked about the castle and so on, but we, one of the things that we haven't kind of focused on much is people's pets during lockdown. And, and of course, you know, it's lovely that we're out the other side now, but, but there's a whole new thinking to people being concerned about their pets being left alone because we pampered them so much during lockdown, didn't we? That was, that's what you've kind of discovered with this Metro Bank pet insurance study, which is, is actually lovely to read and also a bit worrying. Yeah, it is. I mean, honestly, John and I have been the same. We've got Arthur and Elsie. They are black Russian terriers. I don't know if you've ever seen a photograph of them. Yeah. The, the, the name terrier makes you think of a little dog. They are a giant breed. Uh, but Arthur and Elsie are just 12 months. 12 months old last week. And so, as puppies, of course, you get them when they're three months old, with their experience of us has just been in lockdown the whole time. So, they just think we're the most loving mum and dad ever because we're here all the time. Yeah. How they are going to cope when we go back to work, I honestly just don't know. Uh, and I will have separation anxiety. My children are all grown up now, but they always say, you two love the bloody dogs more than you love us. And we do. <laughs> that's we a, do. That's a common theme, though, isn't it, to be fair? That's what a lot of pet owners have. Yeah, because they're just... Absolutely. You love their cheeky, scampy faces, and then you forgive them with a cuddle and so on. <laughs> and it's unconditional love and no back tap. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 
no backup whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, but there's, I mean, part of the study is, is just how many people are worried. I think it's about 40% of people that are really worried that their pets are going to miss them like crazy when they have to yeah. kind of return to a routine that isn't just being at home. And I completely get with I that. I do think, uh, listen, I don't know. I mean, when I'm in theatre, it's always been great for me because you can take your dogs with you. And... Uh, I used to have an English Bull Terrier and I was on tour for 33 weeks and I took Trev, the English Bull Terrier, with me. And you know, they sort of walk like that. Yeah. You know, they're really tough looking the dogs, butch. but it was yeah. a big sausage. <laughs> and so every Sunday you move venues and you, um, you move cities and every Monday morning you have to go on a new stage and do a tech so that the lights are in the right place and everything else. Right. And every Monday morning, Trev trotted onto the stage, had to look round, and then fell asleep in my stage suitcase when I'd emptied it. Oh, bless him. That's brilliant. He loved it. And, of course, we, John and I travel to Spain with our dogs and everything. We drive over there. And so we're not very good at being without them. I don't think they'll be very good at being without us, but... Like you've got to do it, haven't you? Yes. But I'm lucky. John's self-employed, and so he can be with the dogs a lot more than I can when I'm working. Because I start filming again in July. Big secret: I can't tell you what it is yet, but you're going to love it. I'm telling you now, it's something that's really good fun. But I'm filming in July, and I go away for at least a month. And so John will have the dogs all to himself. I'll be very jealous. Well, you've given us a couple of clues there, Beverly. You see, my mind is immediately going, hang on, hang on, hang on. So you're away for at least a month. You're filming in July. Yeah. I'm guessing it's somewhere sunny. That's my hunch. I'm trying I to hope re- so. <laughs> I'm trying to read your expression. You're giving nothing away. <laughs> is it, it's, um, I'm, I would have already assumed ITV, but I'm thinking it might be BBC. Just from, I'm not telling no, you. Not I'm not saying me. the same. <laughs> I'm too keen to know. Well, will you come back and tell us when you're allowed to? Can we make that I deal? I promise, and hopefully, we'll be able to meet face to face. I'd love that. I would absolutely love that. I will need to do some serious exercising before we meet because I will just be too embarrassed otherwise. But yes, I would love to. That would be amazing. Right, I'm going to hold you to that as well. I promise you. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, I can't wait. Can I say it's a date, Beverly? But definitely, baby. Hallelujah. (laughs) (laughs) You've been an absolute joy. Beverly, what a pleasure. Thank you so much for talking to me. I've loved it. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. It's been brilliant. Thank you so much. Good luck with the next adventure. And I can't wait for July. Thank you. It's a date. Hurrah. I'm going to sleep well tonight. Brilliant. Amazing. Take care, Beverly. (laughs) Have a great one. You too. Bye-bye, Andy. Bye-bye. The Andy J Podcast. And that's it for the Andy J podcast for today. Please hit that subscribe button so that you're alerted to whenever we have new episodes. Last week, we brought you three shows. We had, uh, let me see, we had Keith Lemon, Ashley Banjo and Angus Imray and Tamsin Althwaite. This week, it's two episodes. Yesterday, of course, we gave you another sitting with Jeremy Clarkson and then today's show. And next week, I can tell you, we will definitely be bringing you just one big chat with brilliant actor, Mr. James Lance, who is in Ted Lasso, which is the unbelievably brilliant Apple TV series. And he's been in everything from Alan Partridge to Smack the Pony and beyond. Plus, of course, seriously hard-hitting movies like Bronson. 
So he's got some anecdotes to share. Let me tell you, he's got an incredible story about working opposite Tom Hardy and the most fascinating anecdote about Joanna Lumley, who he starred in, well, a few times, but he first met her on set of Absolutely Fabulous. So James Lance is our big guest next week. Whatever you're doing with your time, make someone smile, tread well, and be happy. See you in the next step. Bye-bye. If you're enjoying the Andy J podcast, we'd love a review. In fact, if you're enjoying the show, why not tell your friends? Podcasts live and die on, well, often word of mouth, so please tell your friends. Like, subscribe, review, and share. Thank you.